Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Friday the 9th of the 4th. Michael, how have you been since Wednesday? Jolly good. Bit chilly, Gary, but not too bad. Waiting for summer. So, to start off with, just a response to some queries I got about the last show's title, which was titled something like, You Can Trust Us, It's Only the Other Media You Can't Trust, and was based on the conversation we had at the end where we were talking about why you shouldn't trust media in general. That was obviously a joke, you definitely should not trust us. Trust no one, in fact. Constant vigilance is the price of freedom. Don't even trust yourself, actually. That is, that's what I call radical doubt. That's that's even beyond poor old Descartes. Be sceptical, but never be cynical. Or be deeply cynical. It can be very amusing. Well, yes. If you want to end up like Gary, dear listener, be cynical. I'm not cynical. I did an entire Christmas special on the joy of wonder and beauty. I must have missed that. Yeah, you weren't there. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, should we should for the purposes of of truth in the news and accuracy, point out Gary is not in fact a cynic. He's a stoic. I'm not a stoic. Ah, yeah. I would have always classed myself as an absurdist. No, no, I'm an absurdist. I thought we were all big into the accepting people's labels and their lived experiences. Well, I tried to get my label off, but you know, it's stuck on there, Gary. Have you tried an iron? You know, steam it gently. I'm afraid that if I pull too hard, that little skin will come with it. So anyway, on to the actual news. A um, couple of things to go through. Just on an update on something we were talking about in the, the last podcast. We were talking about the, the ILGA and the Feminist Declaration and those two sections which referred to the elimination of laws uh, limiting the ability of adolescents to consent to um, sex. I am trying to chase that up. I have I have reached out to the ILGA. I have reached out to the organization put down as the author of that. I'm trying to find the list of the 200 organizations that signed it. No luck so far, but I am hoping that I will be able to do something further with it. And as I said in the last episode, I am trying to find out if Labour and NAMBLA were ever in the organization at the same time. You ought to be blood. Fucking hilarious, I'm sure. On things we won't be talking about in the episode, we won't be talking about the North and the situation that is happening in the North. And it's for a very simple reason. I know nothing about Northern Irish culture or politics as it relates to what's happening. Weirdly enough, I know more about British and American politics than the North. I know nothing about it. It is interesting. If you're interested in it, go find someone else to talk about it, because I don't know a bloody thing about it. Well, there are... There are things we can say about the North that we do know. They have potato farrels with their breakfast, and they're not like you think they'll be. Um, They have square pudding sometimes, again, with their breakfast, which I find worrying. Why you have square pudding? It should should be round. And one of the reasons that people go rioting when you're 15, Gary, is because they've been told by friends in the North that it's good fun. That is getting dangerously close to putting forward a political opinion on the North, Michael. That the North is good fun? Well, I had a very good weekend in Belfast once. It wasn't bad at all. So anyway, we it's all been very doom and gloom and COVID and bad COVID news. And there hasn't even been any of the, the good political backstabbing that we really enjoy talking about because it's just funny. But a good news story has finally broken, Michael. Uh, Good news story of national importance, I think. Good news story of national importance. You see, Gary, it would help you if you told me these things before we started recording. Because now my, my little mind's in a frenzy trying to think, what the hell is he talking about? No, no, you see, the fun of the show, Michael, is that I get to research things and then mention them to you. 
and you have to react without knowledge. It's a bit like reality television, <laughs> and presumably it's high quality. Well, actually, considering I totally, I, I control all of the editing of the show and can pretty much make you look and say anything, yes, it's very like reality TV, <laughs> And they wonder why I worry. Okay, go on, go on, shoot me. Israel has been a world leader in vaccinations, it's been dominating, it's been making everyone look bad. However, in a stroke of good luck, Israel turns out to not be able to pay its bills. So Pfizer has basically turned up going, where is my money? And has stopped uh, shipments of the vaccine to Israel because Israel hasn't paid for several million vaccines. There's a shipment of 700,000 vaccines which is due to come in. And Pfizer House is saying, hey lads, there's two and a half million uh, we haven't paid for yet. And the Israelis are going, listen, I, I would... But I don't have the checkbook because, you see, we have this government. It's a new government and somebody else has the checkbook now. And I would give you a check. But then there's another guy who has to countersign it. And it's a total. Listen, we'll post it. It'll be fine. Don't worry. But Pfizer are getting very much. As saying, if anybody's ever watched that episode of The Simpsons where Marge gets into the pretzel business and Humphrey, Hum, uh, Homer decides to help out by getting the mafia involved. Pfizer are basically in the role of. Where's my money? Where's the pretzel money? I go home to Mrs. Pfizer, she says. Where's my pretzel money? They have to get the pretzel money up. So the Israelis possibly are also at the point of saying, yeah, maybe we're okay. But I'm sure it'll be sorted out, Gary. Somebody will find the checkbook. According to the Jerusalem Post, Pfizer called Israel a banana republic. On army radio. Yeah, as, as Michael said, Israel had an election. Things got a bit chaotic and apparently someone forgot to pay for the thing that basically ensured Netanyahu actually got back into power, kind of, on a technicality, really, I suppose. For the technicality, they got more people to vote from than people thought he would. He did, yeah. Didn't get a majority, though. When was the last time anybody in Israel got a majority, Gary? I suppose, the thing about being a banana republic, Gary, if you look at the uh, capacity so far of the German government to successfully roll out its own vaccine programme, it's a little bit rich for them to say to the Israelis, or for a, co- a German company to say to the Israelis, that is, is Israel is in fact the banana republic in this case. Also, I don't think Israel has ever had any involvement with the United Fruit Company. That is a joke with a like target demographic of about 10 people. Guatemala? Was it Guatemala? Honduras, I believe, was the original banana republic. When they tried to take it over, basically tried to take over the country, didn't they? The United Fruit Company, for a period in time, got a bit revolutionary, mostly in ex executing anyone who disagreed with the, the policies of the United Fruit Company. <laughs> yeah, uh, the CIA helped, I think, a little bit. So this gives Ireland a chance to catch up with the Israelis. It gives everyone a chance to catch <laughs> up with the Israelis. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it gives them... Yeah, we can catch up with the Israelis on the basis that if this is a sprint, the Israelis are around a yard away from the finish line. We're around... 30 yards away from the finish line but somebody's now shooting at the israelis and that's the only chance we have is if they get a headshot this is the only way we're going to catch up with the israelis brain aneurysm stroke a lot of stuff shit happens shit does happen and uh if shit happens to the right person you can actually come out on top during the uh democratic primary i was saying that elizabeth warren shouldn't drop out because men of joe biden's age actually have a fairly high statistical chance of dying in any month. 
So it always makes sense to just stay in there on the option that they might just die. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. That's what they call playing the odds, Michael. So, for all we complain about Irish politicians fucking up, the Israelis forgot to pay for their flagship program, which is pretty bad. Having said that, I have been looking at the vaccination figures in Ireland and there's some really weird stuff happening. So the HSE closes down its online portal for staff to register on uh, Friday, just before the Daily Mail story comes out. Since that point, registrations uh, or the amount of vaccinations to cohort two, which is frontline healthcare staff, Michael. So not only is the portal closed, but now people are actually paying attention to the numbers in that area. The numbers drop by about 90% overnight. And then between the 4th and the 5th, which is the last day we have data for, the numbers actually went down by 66. That's what I can't get the head around at all. Was it that they went around and decided people were devaccinated? Is there a, is there a drug now? They go, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have got it. We're taking it back. I wouldn't be surprised if there comes a point where the numbers drop by about 100,000 over two days and they're just like, oh, it was a coding <laughs> error. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was what happened there. Let's not question this too much. What I found interesting, though, is we I, I had been saying that Cohort 1, which is the, the long-term care facilities, mm-hmm. I had been saying maybe they use the same system for that, and there was basically no authorization on that either, because why would you set up multiple systems? Sure. And on the same day, Michael, Cohort 1, those vaccinations dropped by about eh, 75%, I'd say, overnight, on, from the same day. And in the last two days of data we have for, they've also dropped on both times by over 100 people. So the numbers in these cohorts are now going down, which, Michael, I I may not be, as I said, a public health expert, but traditionally in vaccine programs, you want the numbers to go up over time or at least remain static. That's at least then you're you're not losing ground. We appear to now be fighting a retreat against the virus, at least in these cohorts. Yeah, but it's only temporary. It's a bit like the Battle of the Bulge, the German... The Germans come streaming out of the Ardennes with all the tanks, and you get pushed back. The virus is, ta- is, is, is taking one last desperate-ditch battle against the Irish health system, and it's temporarily, it's going to have a few victories, Gary, but we'll get there in the, in the end. I'm, I'm confident by Christmas of uh, maybe 2022, we'll be there. Well, I mean, we vaccinated 3,451 people on Monday, so that's probably not too far off. And this is the week we're gearing up. That was Monday, but you know, wasn't it 1,100 people on Sunday? It was 1,275 people, of which a glorious 50 were uh, second doses. And so, Gary, you'd have to say 3,000 and something is more than that. You know, Michael, due to the way that numbers work, I would have to say that, yes. And confident in that. 3,000 and something is more than 1,000 and something. And as long as there's no follow-on questions or requests for elaboration on that answer, I think everyone will be happy. Still, it's not the way you want to start off when you're going to when you're trying to get to 250,000 a week, is it? Not considering we were doing better the other weeks. We're down to about the numbers we were doing when we banned AstraZeneca. Yeah, poor <laughs> AstraZeneca. It's not getting good. Although, it'll be interesting now, um, we're hearing from all over the, the country, of practices that were promised. One doctor was ringing up the radio today, said he was promised, what is it, 120 vaccines, he's only going to get 50. Another practice uh, I was hearing from was going to get over 1,000, they're getting around 500. But that things will start to pick up when the AstraZeneca kicks in. 
I, I just hope that we don't see any resistance there when people get ring up and say, well, uh, well, hang on for the Pfizer, if you don't mind. We are making some progress, Michael, in relation to vaccinations, not just in the actual numbers, because that's gone to shit, uh, and, but we'll hopefully recover. But in our approach to them, Michael, because you may remember the Beacon Hospital was recently removed from the vaccination program because they had 200 excess vaccines that they had prepared and then it turned out the HSE had double booked them and they gave 20 of those to teachers Michael I remember it and that was outrageous there were calls for investigations for the CEO of the Beacon to resign and Stephen Donnelly then asked the HSE to remove the Beacon from the vaccination program and I just like to see that we've evolved our position since then because it turned out the HSE just did exactly the same fucking thing. And Stephen Donnelly came out and said, well, it's clear that no one was trying, you know, everyone here was trying to do the right thing. But even the numbers, actually, the HSE had 191 people that it invited from the reserve list, a number of whom were teachers. We don't know exactly how many teachers, I think, yet. But it looks like not only did they do what the Beacon did, they did they did it in nearly exactly the same numbers. And this is not a problem. This is actually perfectly fine. This is just everyone was trying to do the right thing and it was just a small mistake with reserve lists. Yeah, but it's on the one hand, you can come out and look all strong and butch by saying we're going to close the Beacon down as a vaccine centre. If you come out and say we're going to close the Aviva down as a vaccine centre, that's a little bit problematic. The other thing is the Vivas, you can say we're we're going to make sure that the people running the Viva the 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 beacon uh, aren't going to be allowed. But since the Aviva rollout of the vaccines was being done by the HSC, that would involve saying we're not going to allow the HSC to do this anymore. Now I'm not saying that would be a bad idea, Gary. I'm just saying that politically it might be difficult. I think there are many strong arguments to closing the HSE. I think there are many, many strong arguments, but I don't think there are arguments that are going to meet with a lot of favour from Minister Donnelly. No, but I'm not sure what would meet with favour from Minister Donnelly, outside of mandatory hotel quarantine. Uh, I think vaccinating everybody in Greystones overnight. I mean, that's a policy I can get strongly behind at the minute, Michael. I know you could. I'm sure you'd be in favour of it. And I think it might even be helpful to Minister Donnelly's chances of getting re-elected. But I'm sure because of that, he wouldn't do it. He's a man of principle. What principle? Uh, the principle that uh, he wants to get re-elected. Same principle that all Irish politicians use. You say that, but as many of them you look at and you just look, you just assume they don't. Yeah, that's just because we haven't understood the subtle and nuanced approach and the understanding they have of their voters, which may escape us. In fact, I, I know for a fact it escapes me all the time. On a completely different topic, uh, we saw some of our uh, finest public representatives go on a bit of a, tr- a bit of a jaunt to warmer climates. And it would be interesting to know precisely what their voter base they were speaking to. Well, I mean, so this, this I assume, is Claire Daly and Mick Wallace going over to see the Popular Mobilisation Forces. I, I love the names these things have. The, there's something there's something so fantastically 70s about that, the Popular Mobilisation Front. When I was a, a, a kid, there was a, there was a sitcom, BBC, I think, Robert Lindsay played this character, and he, he was the head of the... the 
the two popular the tooting popular front and i always think these things sound they they always have that wonderfully retro feel about it popular yes they went out to see that there i believe I, is this true that they are now featured in some of their advertising material it is yes uh, because why wouldn't a group like this use a visit by two MEPs as a, an endorsement, effectively. But, I mean, I can understand why they would go do- down there, Michael. I mean, PMF is, is backed by Iran, and that is clearly a, a country that is close to the heart of many people in Ireland South, for example. Well, I can tell you, Wellington Bridge, they are mad for it. The hook, feathered Kilmore. When Qassam Soleimani was killed so terribly by the Americans, the peace murals that were went up all across Ireland South were just things of, of beauty and solidarity. Oh yeah, it was, it was very effective. It was great to see that the people were out there and very aware of the problems these at this this international level and they were behind it. And I'm sure that mixed, mixed voters were very impressed. Then again, Gary, everybody looks well in black. Although I don't suppose Mick was in black. I didn't see any pictures. Strangely, we didn't see any pictures of Mick that I didn't see any. Oh, no, I I have seen pictures of Mick. And Mick is dressed as if he was in the doll. (laughs) And it looks glorious. What, shorts and a pink t-shirt? Not exactly, but that's that's the basic style, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't have the old kefia. I'm sure back in the day... It was the absolute basic item of apparel of any student that wanted to get anywhere, your PLO scarf. But a lot of people were very curious about the, would you say, fashion choices? Sartorial choices made by Claire? Well, I mean, she clearly dressed to show respect for her hosts. Not a rack, because that's... Not really how women dress in most of the, at least the urban areas of Iraq, but some of the more traditional rural areas. Michael, I must admit that I used to have a full knowledge of all the various Islamic modes of dress, and they've all just melded into one thing in my mind now. So I, I couldn't even tell you which form of Islamic dress she was wearing. I have a feeling it's a chador. Anyway, uh, it, I, the only thing that I find, the only reason we're talking about this, at least from my perspective, is that... I do think that, the, that as I say, the voters of uh, Ireland South should be aware of precisely what the, the, the good people who uh, got their votes and are spending their very decent salaries on are what they're doing. And the, that these are the things that people in Wellington Bridge, as I say, care about deeply. I mean, what would have been fantastic is every now and then the, the US will bomb one of the PMF's bases, particularly if they think they have um, weapons that have been used to target Americans. And I would have loved to see a live stream of Claire Daly, not in the building being bombed, but close enough to experience the bombing. Well, you know. And that's nothing about Claire Daly and Mick Wallace, by the way. I'm, I'm not saying I want them to be bombed. I'm just saying, can you imagine if the Americans accidentally bombed two members of the European Parliament. That's what you call a diplomatic incident. Oh, it would be glorious to see. Uh, yeah, we, we, did, we didn't know they were there. Really? Why were they there? Why would, why would you go to these places? You, you, you'd, you'd want a lot of video footage of that. It would be tremendous. I'm sure we would have seen candlelit visuals outside the American Embassy. Maybe even more writing. Maybe bring the writing down south. New peace walls in Ireland south to go up alongside Soleimani. So you just have a giant Soleimani and then Claire Daly and Mick Wallace and small beside him. It's a lovely image. It is. It's heartwarming. Anyway, I, 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 are, they, are they still out there or have they come home yet? Oh, I think they're long back now. Back doing the doing the people's 
back about the people's business and good luck to them. Would they have, would they have to, if they, would they presumably went back to Brussels. I mean, if they came back to Ireland, they'd have to go into quarantine, wouldn't they? I don't know, but would suspect that one of the exemptions from mandatory quarantine is being on the sort of work that Claire Daly and Mick Wallace would say they were on. That may be a loop probably want to tighten up on. No, no, it's not Michael. Mandatory hotel quarantine is for Israelis and people who can easily escape out of a ground floor window. True. Sorry, I I was forgetting the basic premise on which it was based. One thing I have really enjoyed about the mandatory uh, hotel quarantine is that every time they change it, someone will go, but what about if this thing happens? And they'll go, that will never happen. And it will happen within two days of the change. So yeah. mandatory. What if people just leave? That won't happen. First full day happens. Bang. What if we put Israel on and we end up having to mandatory quarantine someone who's totally vaccinated and can show it? Won't happen. First day happens. <laughs> not only not only double vaccinated, but with uh, with a negative test and a healthcare worker coming over to help in Ireland. <laughs> Then again, I don't think there's much work for vaccinators in Ireland, Michael. Because I did see, uh, I did see Reid, uh, the, the head of the HSE, coming out and saying that he thought that um, they would be able to hit the figure of two hundred and fifty thousand a week, and then give the figure of how many vaccinators they had. It worked out to be something like twenty vaccines a week per vaccinator, which is a very light workload. That sounds doable if you had the vaccines. I mean, Michael, I'm not a vaccinator. I don't know if there's hidden intricacies in this. What I did like seeing was um, a chap called Eddie Punch, who's the general secretary of um, the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. His response to this news was, farmers can vaccinate 20 in half an hour, and that's cows. (laughs) And that involves getting them in. Livestock are not generally cooperative. They're probably more cooperative in the Aviva, all right. Yeah, so we've got 11,500 vaccinators. And he says they're going to be sufficient to hit the target of 250,000 vaccines a week, Michael. Again, if we had vaccines. But we don't. I think if you're saying that each vaccinator is going to do 21 to 22 vaccines a week, you either have too many vaccinators or you have too few vaccines. Well... Let's just not touch with, let's keep the vaccinators we have, because I'm fairly sure that the minute we start sending vaccine vaccinators home, it's when we discover we actually don't have any vaccinators. Also, we had to collect the leaving cert data of all these people, and that's that's going to be a nightmare to get again. And junior cert, I think. I was, there were a lot of people giving out about this on, on, the, uh, on the Twitter machine and saying, who the hell remembers the, their, their junior cert results? I'm kind of puzzled by that, and I don't know what, our, our, what the experiences of our listeners. I remember off the top of my head, without thinking about it, what my results, my intercert results were, and that's blah 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 thirty uh, so many years ago. Don't people remember what they got in exams anymore? I do. I remember what I got in my fourth year, my fourth class summer exams, and Shawnee Kinsella knows why. We'll just leave it there, Gary. He knows why. Well, clearly you're a man who's lived a full life, Michael. Paul Devereux knows too. Sitting there in his chair in UCD, we all know where it all happened. Back in fourth class, summer tests. What did I get? Ping pong, ping pong bats you could put on a table. Ah, the things that will leave you with it, Gary. It's it's a, the deep bitternesses that will disappoint in a, a child in life. Please do go on. No, no, it's it's. I'm over it now. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't carry it. I don't carry grudges, Gary. Oh no, you sound like you're totally over it. Completely over it. 
out with the hate, in with the love. That's what I always say. I've never heard you say that. And you've never seen me that drunk. That is fair. This is a just a little interesting story I saw in The Independent by Philip Ryan. It's about Simon Coveney. And the story itself is, is um, it's just a small story. But I did like the headline. Because the headline positions the piece in a very particular way. And it was this. Simon Coveney's burning ambition to land top €350,000 EU job hits speed bump over mandatory hotel quarantine extension. Now, that's a hell of a headline to begin with. That's... That's weighted, no. That is... That's framing the story. That's... We're not going to say you've done anything. We're just going to repeatedly tell people and sort of imply that you've made choices. Bad choices for Ireland. Because you really want that job. Yeah. And I mean, yes, Simon Coveney has made some mistakes, Michael. Has made some perhaps unforced errors. But to believe he would do such for a mere €350,000 a year in a prestigious European job. You're sceptical, are you, Gary? I don't think Simon Coveney would have hurt the country for that kind of money. Now, for that money, he might have been able to convince himself it was actually in the country's best interest. But I don't think he would have hurt the country. For that kind of money and that position, I think that there's more than enough confirmation bias out there for anybody, especially for Simon, that will convince you to believe whatever the hell it is you've decided you have to believe. I do not think that that would represent an excessive obstacle to Simon and his creativity. As long as it didn't involve him saying anything nice about the English, that could be problematic. I've really enjoyed seeing, it's mostly been Fine Gael figures so far, vote for the mandatory quarantine bill and then once it's in place immediately begin lobbying against the bill they yeah. just voted for yeah it's not dignified is it traditionally one would lobby against the bill before voting for the bill and then apologize for having voted on the bill and blamed europe in some way that's the grand irish political tradition this is a new development. It's a new way of looking at opposition, but I think it actually it makes sense if you think about it. I've observed before that Leo is playing this very fine tap dance uh, effort where uh, every, say, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, he's, a t he's the Tanishta, and then Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, he's leader of the opposition. I think what's happening here is Fine Gael are just taking that position, that strategy, and just moving it forward. They're saying, okay... We're going to introduce legislation, we'll vote for it, and then we'll oppose it. Because we don't want to oppose it before we, after we've introduced it, but before, before we pass it, because that could be problematic. We'll pass it, and then we'll oppose it. I think it's a very fine strategy. Did you see some of the, uh, some of the Fine Gael sources briefing the newspapers on how they had been blindsided by Donnelly with this new list of countries? Which, and most of those stories didn't perhaps highlight as much as they should have that these sources had just voted to put in place a bill which gave Donnelly that ability. Yes. And just sort of, well, yes, we voted for it. We didn't think he'd fucking do it. Do it? I mean, what are you? you? You give a guy extra powers and discretion. You don't expect that he's going to go ahead and exercise those powers. I mean, that, lay, that way lies madness. But then... Simon went ahead and did it and produced his new list. But it's not just the list that he's produced, but the threat of the list that he might produce 
is the worry, particularly for Simon, because Simon now is going to have to go to Europe and explain to them why we're not, why we are breaking the EU protocols on movement. Uh, what the alleged no, that's we're not breaking anything. There's there's been an understanding for quite a long time at this point that restrictions can be in place. They just need to be proportionate, and they shouldn't be uh, discriminatory between European states beyond what is absolutely necessary that should not be a problem that we've seen other european states do that we just seem to think we can't do it when you have a border when they're closing borders between belgium and holland you know things are being done the austrians have closed the border on the germans the germans closed the border on the austrians and the swiss closed the border on the germans and the austrians it's it's all it's it's all good fun but it's apparent but i word is simon is less enchanted about the notion of having to go to his friends and say, I'm sorry, lads, but we have this issue. And he's a, he's a bit embarrassed by it, a bit uncomfortable having to... He likes to bring good news. He's not a bad news kind of a guy. It's interesting that the, the Indo is taking a uh, a bit of a shot at him there, though. Yeah, it's... It, Just interesting timing. It is. And what's going on there? Why are they going after Simon now? I mean, it's, it's not as if Simon represents a particularly potent threat to anybody at the moment i mean if there is a dissatisfaction in the party and i don't know why there would be it seems to me leo is doing a perfectly decent job uh, the poll numbers are good and they have been good pretty solid for a while across all of the polls i mean you get the blip up and down but i can't see that simon is the is is going if, if there were to be a problem i can't see that it would be simon then again he did get an awful lot of really good press for a long time didn't he about you know, his masterful uh, diplomacy, which ensured that Europe stood four square behind us, Gary, about something to do with the North, which I, honest to God, and I'm not saying this sarcastically at all, I have never quite understood what it was they stood four square behind us on. But they did anyway, and it was a great thing. And it's something, and I think that's, I think it's something to do that way, the Apparently, 13-year-olds are setting buses on fire in Belfast because of the Northern Ireland Protocol, which just shows, Gary, the youth of the North are far more politically engaged than we thought they were indeed, more so than they are down here. Because if they understand the Northern Ireland Protocol, I don't. I think they're fantastic. I, I, I'm curious why they're doing this, because we've seen Fionan Sheehan take a turn against Leo the last while, based, I would imagine, primarily on Fionan Sheehan's personal friendship with Phil Hogan, who is... Um, unhappy about things actually he has a a fairly solid remit to be unhappy about i would say yeah phil phil, phil is uh, phil is not supposed to be the, the happiest camper in in the gang at the moment but you know gary i the indo it always seems to me the indo does this it, it it's it's like one of those things you used to get when you were a kid because you're windmills they blow one way then they'll blow another and they'll turn and I think as much as anything, it's just a way of keeping them on their toes, you know? It's a way of saying, lads, no, just remember, we're here. We're, 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 we're happy enough with this and we're happy enough with that. We're, we're, we're going okay. But just remember, we can turn any time. If we want, we can go full shit out in this. And we can, although, who are the, who, where are they going to go? Are they, are they going to decide to throw the full weight of the independent newspapers and where? Ain't to? Social Democrats. I mean, even if they decided every story from now till the end of time was going to be a super duper positive one about Michal Martin and Vina Vall, 
I'm sorry, that's just applying the paddles to a corpse. All I'm getting from this is that you think the independent is sundary. It sounds like a Japanese whiskey, but I'm not sure. It's, it's a Japanese word. Let's no one look it up and let's just move swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. Actually, on Leo, I totally missed this when it happened. A listener of the show sent it on to me there. Leo is making some weird statements. Just odd. So there's a piece in the Irish Times. Workplace review could compel all employers to talk to unions. And that the union see recent government announcement of a high-level review as a step forward. And, yeah. That's a weird one. I mean, it's a weird one for Fine Gael, for a start. But it's a really weird one for Leo. Although, you know, we say that. Once upon a time, long, long ago, in a land far, far away, Leo came into the doll as this hot, hot right-wing firebrand dedicated to this kind of slash-and-burn Thatcherism. Milton Friedman in one hand, Jack Daniels and Diet Coke in the other, and he was going to lay waste to the socialist country that we had become. And it's all gone a little bit odd these days, hasn't it? Very hard to know which way, which, which, any, on any one day, which, which way Leo is going to be facing. This is not the policy of a red-hot Thatcherite, or, or indeed, I would have said, even a bang in the middle of the road, Fine Gaelor. It doesn't speak to their... Who's it speaking to, Gary? I mean, who's who in the Fine Gael sort of rough vote cohort is this talking to? Or is it just talk? Is it just, listen, we're going to have a report, which they are, and then we're going to have a discussion, which they will, and at the end of it, they'll just decide, well, we had to think about it. No, we're, about, we're not going to do that. So just, just to explain why, why this is of importance, under Irish law currently, workers have the right to join a trade union. At the same time, employers have no obligation to recognize or to engage with that trade union. So you have the right to engage with a trade union. They have the right not to deal with the trade union if they don't want to. That is the balance of it. But the unions have been trying for a very long time to have the right to not only join a union, but to have that union recognized by your employer uh, recognized as a human right. Now, they, of course, say that this will increase labor rights and will be a great thing for everyone across the country. It would also massively increase the power of unions, something which traditionally they haven't been... They haven't been people who've really thought that power corrupts. They've been very happy to accept any increase in power that they can get. Collective bargaining is the thing they really want here. They want recognition of the unions and they want collective bargaining. And what that essentially does, that makes them a far more attractive package. In fact, maybe even a necessary package for someone who's joining a firm. And the problem is, outside of the public sector, and even in the public sector, but certainly outside of the public sector, union membership in Ireland has just been in decline since forever. And they see this, I think, if nothing, at, at, at a basic level, the first thing this would achieve is it will stop the numbers declining and people will start joining unions again. The group that, that will be reviewing it will have trade unions on it, will have employer representatives, by which they most likely mean IBEC, so basically trade unionists, and then you'll have government officials, and then you'll have academics. So it'll be three to one. Who's the one? IBEC. No, it's four to zero, Michael. Well, we have to be nice to somebody, Gary. You know? We can't alienate everybody. Do you remember the speech that the CEO of IBEC gave a couple of years ago about how the state needed to be bigger? Actually, I think that was last year. Yeah, yeah, I do. 
And have you seen some of the things that IBEC have said on like mandatory reporting of um, gender-related pay, stuff like that? Yeah, so let's just say four to zero. Four to zero and fuck the consumer. It's the Irish way. It's the Irish way. So Leo is proposing this. Maybe this is like to put a knife in labour. Maybe that's the aim. Uh, I mean, you're you're giving the you, you well, you're not giving. You're you're putting forward the potential for the unions to get something they have wanted forever. Maybe you think you can draw them over, but then again, a lot of the unions are like a lot of the unions. The internals of them have gone to Sinn Fein. They're still giving money to the Labour Party, a lot of them, but a lot of the officer corps are now fairly fairly hardline Sinn Feiners. If if this was a proposal coming from Fianna Fáil, it would make perfect sense to me. I'm not saying it'd be a good idea, but it would make perfect sense because a lot of people don't make me realise that once upon a time, if you went to a lot of small businesses and factories around the country that were unionised, people would assume, I imagine, that that shop stewards that were going to be inevitably Labour Party or some other factor. That Actually, there was a very significant representation of Fianna Fáilers in, as at the shop stewards level in the in small and middle and sized companies and factories around the country. Fianna Fáil always had a foot in there. I can't imagine that Fianna Fáil has that kind of foot anymore much. So if maybe Fianna Fáil was, going to, was trying to swing out, maybe go back to that working class industrial worker voter base, this would make sense. This I don't see. I don't see the politics to it. I pres- it's not for Fine Gael, so presumably it's to screw over somebody else. Um, but quite who it is, Gary, I'm sure the time will reveal itself. The deep, dastardly plot that uh, Leo is hatching, I'm sure, will eventually become clear to us all. But then it will be too late because we shall be engulfed by it. I mean, it's possible that this review is designed to go nowhere and it was just brought forward as something the unions would like and Ibeck aren't going to give a shit either way. Ah, Ibeck. Corporatism made flesh. I actually like some of the Ibeck people. They're quite nice on a personal level. I just don't like the direction they've gone. They've gotten... They were always very comfortable as a group, but they've gotten incredibly so the last while. Yes, you get a little bit more uncomfortable. I think so, Michael. As we were saying, you know, afflict the comfortable. And comfort the afflicted. No, just the first part. I know, you always just like the first part. Very much in the beating still continue. And you don't care if morale improves at all. Did you see the story in the Irish Times about outdoor infections? Oh, yes. the um, This was uh, Rona McGreevy. 0.0... Sorry, 0.1% of COVID transmission comes from outdoors. No, Neffet Michael says that that is misleading. They do. And they say if it's... Because, for example, doesn't consider that sometimes doing things outdoors will lead you to do things indoors. And it's very important we must remember that. And that's true, Gary, because I find very often when I go outdoors, I then go indoors. The logic the logic is, is cast iron, Gary. You can't get away from it. Also, as one prominent uh, practitioner of Gaelic games pointed out, apparently nobody's been in a dressing room for a year, Gary. You go in your kit, you train, if you are allowed to train, of course. Uh, you, uh, on, and even even sometimes, Gary, apparently people are training when they're not allowed, and that's very bad. But it's only happened in two counties. It hasn't happened anywhere else, and it's stopped now. 
But when you were allowed to train, people would go in their kit, they would train, and they would go they get in their cars and they would go back home. They didn't go into they weren't going into into the changing rooms at all anyway. The thing I liked about this story particularly was how would I put it? It's currency. It's breaking news. Wow, who knew that being out of doors was actually a big factor rather than being indoors? That it was really hard to get outdoors. But then, Gary, I remember a podcast, I think last May, was it, where we actually discussed a paper which was published by the BMJ in Yale, which looked at a study done in China of 318 outbreaks with three or more cases involving a total of 124 45 confirmed cases the conclusion of which said that uh, they found one case which they suspected might have taken place might have occurred outdoors and all identified outbreaks of three or more cases occurred indoors so that's June, July, six, seven, eight. It only took nine months, ten months to get. But that's great. You know, at least we're getting the information out there at high speed so that people can understand where the risks lie and how they should behave. Apparently, also, we've now understood that opening the windows is a good idea. Hmm. Truly, this is a, a moment of progress, Michael. It is, and we cheer it on because... Rather than saying, God, you're late to the party, we're, what we're saying, Gary, is, okay, you're a bit late to the party, but we're delighted that you came. So we will be back on Sunday, as we say. Hopefully something will have burned down or fallen over. Or exploded. Or exploded, or imploded, even. Hopefully not us. Uh, anyway, but regardless of whether or not something has happened or not happened, you should come back and see if we continue our unbroken streak of saying the name of the show correctly, which has lasted at least three weeks at this point. Is it as much as three weeks? Well, three episodes. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, it makes more sense. It's like the, the, that scene, again, a Simpsons uh, image, you know, days without an accident. So, if we're up to that, that's cool. We, we should, let's see if we can make it all the way through April. Oh, the sky is the limit, Michael, at this point. Well, maybe not the sky, but let's, 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 let's keep our, keep, keep it a little bit closer to Earth for the time being, but then. Yeah, what they say, Michael. If your target is the sky, you'll get to hit it and then drift into the void until you die of starvation. The quotes, I don't know. This is, look, I, it's, I can't remember what the quote's from. Somebody's about flying and said, is it hard to fly? or the risk of dying. So the, the, the trick with flying is, is not the problem with flying. The trick is avoiding hitting the ground. I've always thought that there's a profound truth to that. Flying is easy. Hitting the ground is not is hard. Anyway, we should be back on Sunday, assuming we haven't flown and hit the ground. All the best. <laughs>